Thanks for tuning into The Scoop. I hope we can continue to serve as an important source of information and entertainment during these unprecedented times. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Bitstamp, before we get started with the episode. They're the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been a cornerstone of the cryptocurrency industry and the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors, trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a matching engine from NASDAQ, the global stock exchange, and their APIs are consistently recognized as the best in the industry. Bitstamp's advanced trading interface, TradeView, features live charting, deep analytical tools, and is available on web and mobile. You can download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and to start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into what is a very special episode of The Scoop. This is one that I'm really excited about because it's so timely, it's so newsy, and it's just going to be a great conversation. Anyone who is a keen observer of this market, anyone who hasn't been under a rock for the past week, is going to be familiar with the tie-up between FTX and Blockfolio. The former company acquired the latter in what was a $150 million deal in a bid for FTX to expand its retail footprint. And so we have the co-founders of both of those firms on the show to talk about the deal. We're going to talk about how things have been going since, I guess it was August 25th, so early last week, basically 17 years in the crypto equivalent because things are moving so fast. Ed Moncada and Sam Bankman-Fried, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Again, we are recording in the Blocks New York City headquarters, and our AC is broken. You guys are lucky you can't see me right now. I'm incredibly sweaty and just look, you know, not really that great. And also, it's disappointing because Larry Cermak couldn't come on the show today. You know, it's tough balancing time zones. If he was on, we would have had Europe, I think San Francisco, New York, and Hong Kong. So that would have been... We'll figure that out maybe for the next time we get you guys on and we can have sort of like a global crypto conversation of sorts. But anyway, without further ado, I want to get into this deal. We chatted before the announcement went out and I just thought it'd be nice to sort of have the audience kind of be a fly on the wall of, of that conversation. So I'm, uh, I'm going to kind of ask some of the same questions I asked during the course of that conversation. And I know you guys have some new news to share and I definitely want to get a little bit into some of the developments in the DeFi world and maybe how those developments end up feeding into this new tie-up. Before we get started, I guess I'll kick it to you first, Ed. Uh, when we spoke, you talked about how for, I guess, a year maybe you were looking into how to sort of, I guess you can say accrue value from, you know, your clients in a more transactional trading way. Whereas, you know, for as long as you guys have existed, right? Since 2014, it was more about data and price tracking. So walk us through that sort of um, origin story. Yeah, we, we have this, you know, fairly sizable user base, you know, 6 million downloads, 300,000 plus daily active users. And they're highly engaged, opening up our app, you know, over six, seven times a day to, to track their portfolio. And it's all around price tracking around, you know, the crypto markets. And, um, the behavior we would see in the app is like they get price alerts, they go into our app, they check prices and they'd close the app and go to Binance or Coinbase and go trade. Right. And we sort of realized we're like, wow, like we should really consider either launching trading within the app or maybe, you know, launching a, a kind of a sister app that was about trading that we could, you know, sort of provide a seamless integration and give people the ability to, to transfer over to very quickly and, and make trades when they wanted to. And it was obvious, you know, I mean, that's, those are the, the businesses in, in crypto that are creating the most value for the exchanges. And we sort of went on this journey and started talking to a number of exchanges and, and potential partners looking for a liquidity provider and a custody provider. And, uh, and after meeting, you know, with probably the majority of the major exchanges in the ecosystem, we came across Sam, we were introduced to him. I should rephrase that. Like we, we talked once prior to this. 
but we ended up kind of circling back to Sam about, you know, about a possible partnership here. And it just kind of, it went great. <laughs> the conversation went great right, right away. I think when we last spoke, we talked about how it's kind of like, you know, asking a girl or guy out on a date, right? You know, you kind of, it's a bit awkward at first. And then when it's a good match, it's a good match. But who makes the first move in, in, in something like that? Because it could be a little weird to maybe proposition someone to buy uh, your company. Maybe it's something that, that happens naturally. I've never been in that position. But Sam, did you just come out and say, hey, you know, I want to buy your company? No, I didn't. And in fact, like I think Ed, Ed was sort of like the first real move. And it was... I don't know why I didn't. I, mean, I think in, in retrospect, it was sort of like, you know, I, as soon as he said it, I sort of felt like, oh, wow, like that actually might make a lot of sense. But I, I just hadn't been thinking that way. It, it's just sort of a frame of mind thing. You know, I'd sort of been in white label mode. Like that was sort of like how he's thinking about things. You know, you can white label here, you can white label there. And then he sort of like about, you know, maybe 10, 10 minutes into sort of the preamble that I sort of like, you know, figure out wh where prob probably the postamble was going to be. And I, at that point, it's like, oh, okay, like that's actually that's not crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Was that sort of the same experience for you, Ed? Yeah, it, we, the the thought here is the real consideration here is when you ask somebody to buy you, then you empower them, right? In a negotiation, it's just like it's like usually what happens is they'll just be like, all right, I'm going to throw you the lowest offer, <laughs> right? <laughs> And then it's just going to like crumble before we even start, right? If they get that mindset. And really, I just, I didn't even know how to approach it. And I was just kind of trying to like highlight some of the synergies and hoping that Sam was somebody that would like see this as something that was really strategic and they really valued and that we could find something that like made sense for everyone, you know? So what does this mean, I guess, for the product? That's something that maybe is a little less clear. Um, you know, FTX has its hands in, in many different buckets, spot, derivatives, it's sort of burgeoning new decentralized exchange platform. So what's the what's the overarching vision for Blockfolio fitting into that family of products? You know, I think like in general, like, you know, for FTX, the, the, there's sometimes when this isn't true, but by and large, the way we think of what products we have is what do people want? And it's sort of like, sometimes I just literally throw up a Twitter poll, you know, I'm like, here are some coins, like, I don't know, pick one. Because, you know, in the end, like, we're sort of not in the business generally of like, you know, telling people what to trade or, or buy. We, we want people to be able to do what they want to do. That's sort of like, that's sort of what my goal is, that's most of what FTX's goal is. I will say that that goal's like shifted a little bit, just in that, like, especially over the last month, there's so much crap. Um, and there's so much crap that all of a sudden has like a compelling case to list it, but also seems like basically a scam. That, you know, I think like much more so than before, where we are sort of like, you know, Litecoin versus EOS, like which are people going to be more excited to trade? You know, we've had to actually sit down and think like, are we comfortable offering tendies as a product to our customers? Like a lot of people ask for it. Like, is that anyway? So, you know, kind of caveating a few things. That's what we're in the business of. And, and I think that like, that's what I think the big thing for Blockfolio is, is like, what do its users want? You know, this is sort of the role that like I can and FTX can play here is to offer things, you know, like we have sort of not everything under the sun, but, but a lot of things that's like, you know, one of the things that we've really prioritized is, is being able to have a ton of products, a ton of customization, a ton of types of things. And I think that like in the end, it's sort of like, there are a lot of sort of tools that we have to offer to Blockfolio and, and its customers. And the question is like, which ones do they want? And I'll let Ed speak a lot more about you know, his, his thoughts and visions and experiences with that. So Ed, is it kind of like the way you think about this, you know, there's going to be the trading experience that I get when I go directly to FTX or the trading experience I get when I go to Serum or whatever have you. And then there's going to be the trading experience I get when I want to trade through the Blockfolio app which will have kind of, you know, this incredible FTX infrastructure and liquidity underpinning it. Is that like a good way to think about it? Yeah. I mean, we're still doing some research and kind of some of the design is still in development, right? But but yeah, I mean, it's basically like FTX is one of the best, if not best exchange out there in terms of like the products they offer that people want, right? And we're just, I think our wheelhouse has always been creating a great kind of retail user experience and 
I think we've done a great job of building a brand and building evangelism around sort of like our product. All of our growth has been organic word of mouth growth. And to me, it just seemed very kind of, you know, it just it seemed like a perfect match. We don't have exchange DNA. And that was always something that made me sad that like, I wish we knew what we were doing there. And now we get to move over to a team that's just going to bring these incredible chops to us. And like, we're so excited because it's all, like, it, it feels like a one plus one equals three kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I guess, how do you make sure that, you know, you're not pushing the wrong type of product, so to speak, onto a more retail user base? Sam, you were talking about how the firm has kind of had to approach new products with a bit more precision, maybe a bit more diligence, given just how fast everything is moving, how many tokens are entering the market at a faster and faster clip seemingly every day. So is there like a concern that maybe you might be opening Pandora's box, so to speak, for, uh, you know, this large, impressive uh, retail user base? One thing I'll say there briefly is that sort of one tool that we've just gotten more and more appreciation for over time at FTX is toggles and settings and opt-ins and and sort of, you know, warnings and things like that, which aren't like hard gating. It's like, but which are sort of like, soft. And I think that like, we've just gotten really good reception from users about them, but it's it's a weird type of good reception. It's not that people like, that is a fucking awesome warning message. Like that, I just wake up each day and think about that, you know, it's, it's more the, the absence of complaints, you know, but, you know, I will say sort of one thing that, that we've really sort of grown appreciation for is, is sort of less than like saying, you know, there's no way that you can do this. Like we're restricting this away from you sort of like, thinking about what's presented to people not and thinking about like what sort of disclaimers people are shown and also thinking about like what tools you can access if you're sort of like adventurous and looking for them. And we have these giant menus of settings where you can toggle things on and off. And this is sort of like a different type of thing. It's not, it's less like, you know, which way do you want your order book to look? And it's more like, you know, what sort of products do you want to see? But one sort of option that we have is sort of there's, you know, the original you know, sort of base product and vision that you present to customers. And there's another thing, which is like what it's capable of doing if they like dig under the hood and like try and toggle everything on and like click okay to lots of, of you know, warnings and, and, you know, stuff like that. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, there is this theoretical um, or not even theoretical, like there's a real possibility, right? Um, if you just look at the billions of dollars a day that are moving around on apps like Robinhood, Cash App, PayPal, Etc. There is a real growth possibility in sort of leveraging this blockfolio, the blockfolio platform, to create maybe just this new type of crypto retail experience, right? That maybe yep. doesn't exist before. Maybe is learning from the good, learning from the bad. Obviously, it's early days, and I'm sure this is going to come to fruition sooner rather than later, given how fast you guys are at shipping product, but at least in sort of early stages of developing this end product, what are going to be like some of the definite don'ts? Obviously, you you mentioned, Sam, you want the customer to kind of delight in the product, but what might be something that you see across, you know, crypto retail trading that you're going to try to avoid? I'll throw out some things and, you know, also give that a chance. You know, I think that like, on sort of a technical side, there's a lot of ways that you have these these retail apps in crypto, and they sort of like are very good at something. That something is often having like a very large user base and a clean interface to to you know click the buy button, but they're very locked down. And it's not just that like most of their customers don't want them to be able to, to do more, but they can't. And by do more, I don't mean like have you know trailing stop losses. I mean like having withdrawals. And that's sort yeah. of like a pretty fundamental thing about crypto that like, if you buy a Bitcoin, it's your Bitcoin. And, you know, maybe, maybe, or maybe not, you're holding it right now, but at least you sort of have the right to hold it. And if you then want to go put it somewhere else, you can. And, you know, it's sort of like, for a lot of people, it's extremely important. For some people, it doesn't matter at all. But I think that, and I think that like what sort of a lot of these apps are thinking is like, yeah, okay, there's people for whom it's extremely important. That's not our, our customer base. But there's also this sense of like, you know, what makes it a Bitcoin? Like, you know, I tell you, you've got a Bitcoin. And then, and they're like, great, like, can I have my $12,000? And like, nah, six. And you're like, what you mean? It's worth 12. I'm like, yeah, I'll pay you six. And eventually you sort of like, 
I don't get this, but fine. Like, can I go somewhere else and sell it? You know, and obviously that's, that's thinking about selling it, but there's also with a lot of tokens, there's utility. There's this, like, can you stake it? And there's all these things that you might want to do with a token and being able to <laughs> prove that it's, that it's really is that token. Cause if you wanted to, you could withdraw it. And that's like really fundamental about it, you know, instead of just being like some letter someone wrote on a screen. And, and so I think that's one thing that's like really not, not, that's not something I'm, I'm a big fan about, about how a lot of those are designed. What about you, Ed? Like in in the sort of week since the deal was announced, what has the reaction been from the client base? What are they excited about? Maybe concerned about? There's been very little concern. There's been like it's been overwhelmingly positive. I and it's been. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just I was thinking about that on the ride over. Everybody did react so positively to this news. Like it, it's obviously a massive deal. But I feel like for some reason, everybody just immediately, it clicked that this would be something that would be bullish, which is obviously great for you guys. But when you sort of see a reaction like that, like, what do you make of it? And why do you think it was so salient for them? I think we've always tried to kind of conduct ourselves as, you know, we're, we're in the middle of the space. We connect with 500 different token teams or broadcasting updates through our app. We sort of see ourselves a little bit like Switzerland, like we're token agnostic, exchange agnostic. Uh, as an application, we have a lot of partners and, and we've, we've always taken a very collaborative approach in kind of how we've grown. And I, I believe that that people, if it wasn't obvious to them intuitively, they, they, they recognize this, you know, we weren't like blasting a bunch of ads for BitConnect or anything during the last bull run. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, they see us as sort of like good actors in the space. Our users do. We, we've been very protective of them, like with our privacy policy and things like that. And so I, I'd say we put the, the user first and the ecosystem first. And I think you know, my impression is that, you know, one of the reasons why I was really kind of excited about the possibility of joining forces with Sam is because I've kind of watched him come up over the last year or so since he kind of got on my radar. And even in our discussions, he was so collaborative. And I would hear other, anywhere from other token teams to other venture funds, just glowingly talk about Sam before this acquisition, right? And I, I think I think there was just a sentiment about, like, I think both projects that they're like, these are good actors in the space. At least I hope I, that's why I think it, what was going on there. Yeah, and we are kind of in the early stages or the the mid stages. Who really knows? You can't time these things of <laughs> a more, you know, impressive bull market. Something that you know the the current momentum and the current sentiment isn't something like we've seen since you know twenty seventeen probably. Um, so that might have been part of it as well. Um, but Sam, you were going to yeah. say something. Yeah, I think that's true, and I also really appreciate what you said. But I think another piece of this, um, sort of to tack on top of this, is is that like you see acquisitions or or deals or you know partnerships or whatever in crypto whatever they're ever or they're also in crypto and and often you sort of see them and you kind of just get this like not that great feeling when you see it you know you, you sort of see it and it's not even like like sometimes it's like oh wow that that's sort of nefarious but often it's just sort of like that's kind of stupid like or that seems like that's kind of not going to be good for the companies that's kind of like and i think that like there's sort of this this like type of deal, which is the like acquire something, hollow it out, and uh, and, and sometimes it's even weirder than that. Sometimes you see these deals, and it's like I don't even get why that happened. You know, like it's just like I, I kind of think it's just going to be like the end of the smaller business, and like the other one's just going to like waste a ton of time and energy on it. And I think some of it's sort of a combination of like you know not going to to bother really executing with it, combined with like. It's not clear why it makes sense in the first place to sort of paint this picture of like, you know, an acquisition because you can or something like that or a deal because you can or a partnership for a partnership's sake that tends to like, you know, really take away from the actual products. And there's like, you know, crypto is littered with companies that like get acquired and then like six months later, like they just are no more. And, and there are even some like ones from, you know, kind of like moderate profile acquisitions I can think of from like a year ago or, or so, which were like, you know, kind of up and coming companies before that. I haven't heard their name in the last three months. Maybe I'm just in a bubble, but like, you know, you kind of look through this and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, that was a hot company at one point. Like, I wonder what happened to them since they got acquired. Like, literally, it just haven't heard anything. And so I think like... I think I think he's talking about Tagomi, ladies and gentlemen. That, that, yeah, okay. That was definitely one of the ones I... What, what, what's up with it? I, I, I Maybe it's doing amazing things. I don't... I don't know. Have you guys heard anything about it? No, 
<laughs> no, we, we, we haven't. Um, ex- aside from uh, Greg Tusar getting a, a promotion there. Right. And then sort of announcing it. But no, I, I think I think you make a good point, right? And we talked about this during the during the call last week. There is this difference. So there's this dichotomy between, especially in crypto, and I actually think that this is especially apparent in crypto, where, you know, a company gets acquired or there's an hire, and they kind of pick it apart for the scraps and take the most important IP and then they kind of move on. And then there's more synergistic mergers or acquisitions. And I think the point you guys are trying to make here and, and tried to make last week is that this is an example of that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And this is like, you know, th- this is not going to be a like pick it apart thing. This is a like, not just a one plus one equals three like thing, but you know, partially because of that, uh, a great opportunity to kind of scale up both sides and to throw, you know, more, not not less into them. I, re- I remember kind of like, as this started transpiring, I, I remember telling Sam kind of halfway through, I was like, Sam, you know, I was thinking I was going to sell Blockfolio and retire. And I have to tell my poor wife that we're not going to go retire and get a ranch that she wanted because I'm fired up right now and I want to I want to crush it and you could still get forward. you could still get the ranch <laughs> yeah yeah and looking forward to the next five years of like doing everything we can to like you know to work together to make this an amazing an amazing journey you know what's making you so fired up it's just that things are so complementary right. Like the way Sam thinks, I think about things I very much value. And I almost look at it as like, God, it's just like this thing that I always wish I had. And I didn't realize how much I valued it until it was like sitting here supporting me. It's just like my my kind of mindset was always around like user base, evangelism, branding, right? Monetization isn't like, you know, my biggest strength, even though like over time you kind of learn to do certain things, right? And and Sam's mindset is just like, it's just a strong exchange player in the space that has everything scienced out and figured everything out. And it's, it's just, it's so exciting and invigorating to have these conversations with them. There's so much I'm learning too. Right. I guess one, maybe, I don't know, point of contention is the right word, or it's kind of just a issue people might find within this deal. And it's an issue that exists across markets, right? When you have sort of all of these different businesses entangled together, there could be potentialities of different conflicts of interest. If you have a sort of retail broker under the same auspices of a large liquidity provider under the same auspices of a brokerage, these are kind of relationships that don't exist in traditional markets. And, and that's one thing, you know, you could look at that as a positive, right? Crypto is kind of tearing down the walls of friction, et cetera. But there's also this potential question of, of conflicts. And so I guess the one question would be, this might be a more critical question, but how do you ensure that this large retail base is not sort of getting on the wrong side of a trade of, you know, Alameda as an example? Yeah. I, I think like I'll speak from our perspective and I'll let Ed speak from his. I think like the way I think about this and sort of similarly to, to FTX is that like, you know, first of all, I, I I can and will say that that like, you know, that's not that's not who we are. That's not how we operate. And like, you know, the goal is to build Blockfolio into as sort of like large and valuable and great to kind of use and interact with experience as and product as we can. And that like, you know, the goal of FTX there is to support that. You know, the goal of FTX there is to offer the matching engine, the products. The product design and 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 technology and, and sort of know-how about that to be able to to fuel that and that you know obviously it's it was incredibly valuable for you know especially when FTX was starting up for uh, Alameda to be providing liquidity on it because it's it's you know so hard to get an exchange off the ground without liquidity but that's it was the goal there was to build FTX up as much as possible and and sort of you know, if Alameda could provide that the service of liquidity to it, then that would be a big win for it. And and here again, thinking about what we can do to provide it as much as we can to to Blockfolio. And I think the thing that I would say about that is that like thinking about what sort of like is the direction, the strategic direction, what makes sense, what's valuable long term here. Like, you know, the values in building these these companies and these brands and 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 user bases and products and to be, 
you know, sort of as, as large of a thing as we can. And like, you know, you sort of like find ways to cut corners to like make a little bit here and there. It tears that away in a way that that just like kind of eats away at the foundation of it. And, and you end up losing so much more than, you know, than you could have hoped to have gained from it. And I think like, you know, we've tried really hard over FTX to sort of like make sure that whenever possible, we're kind of putting the customers first and to be sort of as sympathetic as possible. And, you know, when, whenever we could sort of see it as, as plausible to sort of like give customers the benefit of the doubt whenever it sort of was plausible. And I think that like, that's because that's, that's what matters. Like what matters is the long-term success of that product. And that's sort of the same way that we see this. And like, you know, as sort of this, as this builds up and everything else builds up, like, you know, it, it's both what, what fuels its, its growth and what stops it from having a lot of unhappy customers that, that, yeah. that really inhibit that. So. What, yeah. I, what, I, what I would say, and kind of to simplify some of what Sam said and kind of more from just how I think about things, it's just like in this ecosystem, like trust is so valuable. Like, I mean, it's like roots have so many scams. It came from the wild west. Trust is worth billions or tens of billions or even potentially hundreds of billions. It's like incredibly valuable. It's all a relationship that we want to have with our users, right? You can have a great relationship, a great trusting relationship. And like every time they see something that's going on and after they dig under the hood, they come back and they're like, these guys are treating us well. They're just going to build our brand. It's going to build our trust, right? Or you can have a different kind of relationship where like, you know, every opportunity we're just gouging them on prices or who knows what's going on. And it's going to be like, you know, it's going to be like an abusive relationship with a partner. And I just see that sort of like from the brand opportunity now from FTX and Blockfolio combined and, you know, this, the, the suite of companies underneath, like I just, my personal goal is just to have this like really great relationships with end users that, that creates evangelism and builds trust. And I think that's, that's sort of like a North star that I would hope that will help carry, carry these companies forward and get, hopefully be very successful. Yeah. And obviously trust is integral, but I guess there might be some folks listening or some retail clients who, who might be curious about whether or not there'll be certain firewalls in place. Sam, what, what are sort of maybe the, the ways in which you kind of um, segment the businesses so that, you know, nothing improper is, ha is happening? Yeah. I think they, that thing that I would say is like, we don't give like, would never give customer data you know, FTX serve customer, you know, private customer information to, to any third party. And, and that includes Alameda and, 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 and you know, we'd, we'd never leak that on, you know, that, that, that anywhere. And it's, you know, sort of try very, very hard to make sure that people kind of place amount of, of faith and trust when they like do give information and that that sort of is, is respected and rewarded. And, and so, you know, no one is no sort of, sorry, we put this like, I, I guess sort of the thing you're, you're driving here, which is basically like the worry about Alameda or liquidity providers getting sort of access to like customers' private in information. I think what I'd say is like, they're not going to be permission for it. There's you know not going to be a portal file or not going to be allowed to. And it's not what, you know, either party sort of goal is here. And that that's going to sort of remain, remain the customers and that like the goal of anyone else who's working with, with them is just going to be to, to provide you know, whatever services they can to Blockfolio. If you're a listener of The Scoop or follow The Block, then you know I am super excited about the future of crypto adoption, especially on the enterprise side. Our sponsor, Blockset, is not only helping to push development at the grassroots level with their multi-chain API, but also at the institutional level. Blockset is built by BRD, the first crypto wallet in the App Store from 2014 and one of the largest in the space today. They've taken the architecture and the knowledge they've gained over the past six years to create Blockset, a robust, reliable, and strategic B2B offering for developers and enterprises. Blockset is enabling banks and other major financial institutions to interface and build with crypto assets at light speed. See just how simple it is by visiting Blockset.com and sign up for a free account today. I want to take a minute to kind of like step back a bit and just think about this space at a high level. 
this deal is happening in the midst of so much. Um, and it really speaks to the importance of it that anyone even paid attention to it in the midst of all this craziness. I was talking about before we turned on the mics, how difficult it is even from our perspective as news providers to cover things that are kind of outside of this more nascent corner of the market, specifically DeFi, right? Because everything's happening so fast. And so it's kind of difficult to keep up with all developments in the CFI world, especially among like more sleepy businesses like custodians, not to pick on the custodians, but you know, I, I had, um, going on one of my tangents, but I had a custodian PR person hitting me up today about some news out of Japan where they got some license. I'm like, no one is going to care about that right now. <laughs> Nobody. And like, you know, you guys, Sam, you've been at this for, I guess like three years now. And, and Ed, you know, 2014, you've seen the cycles. When you look at this backdrop, Ed, what do you think of it? Like, what is, is it kind of reminding you of the heady days of 17? What maybe makes this sort of brief moment of euphoria maybe a little bit different? I feel like there's more substance underneath about what's sprouting up. Uh, when I think of like DeFi platforms, yes, there's all these like Rube Goldberg machines that are like sprouting up and I don't know how that's going to play out. And I don't want to make any comment about what's going to play out there. But when I look at, you know, things like lending pools, it's very exciting to me because I'm a firm believer, like we're just kind of like sort of forging ahead and I'm starting to see like the horizon and it's going to be things like, you know, you're going to have like condominium titles or like home titles that are NFT tokens and, you know, with unique attributes and, and then, and then somebody's going to be able to take that token and put it in the pool and like borrow USD against USD, USDT against their USDC that consider something. And it's that transaction is going to take five minutes, not, you know, how it is in traditional finance now. And so like, I'm starting to see the pieces, like the pipes underneath that are going to lead to that. And I think that's exciting. And I think, and I think DeFi is going to be, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's an incredibly fertile, like Cambrian explosion that we're seeing that, I don't know, it just has more substance than the one in 2017 did. And I think it's, I'm, I'm much more excited in what I'm seeing, even though I just don't know exactly how it's all going to play out just yet. How about from your perspective, Sam? Yeah, I think it's... You think there's more substance there? I think it depends on how you define it and, and what your baseline is, sort of. And, you know, one narrative of 2017, which I think has a lot of merit, is, boy, was that overheated. You know, like, people are literally just coming up with a token name and minting an ERC-20 token and then selling it for large amounts of money, and then there is no business, and that was it. And then they're gone. And that was sort of like, that wasn't even, like, that weird then, you know? You're sort of like, oh, is it one of those ones? Um, you know, those obviously all sort of imploded in you know February, March of of 2018. And sort of when you put it that way, there definitely seems like there's some parallels with what's going on now. And I think what I'd say is that like also some amazing things happened in 2017. And you know, I think like the rise of Ethereum was one of them. And like there's a lot of crap built on it. Like it's almost entirely crap built on it, in fact. It's, you know, I don't know. I'm sure you can think of like one or two projects that, you know, are sort of ERC-20 tokens that have survived to today, but it's really shockingly few. But it took crypto a huge step forward uh, because now all of a sudden this sort of like popularization of, of smart contracts happened and it sort of like really revolutionized what people thought of as what crypto can do, you know, and what blockchain can do. And that it's not just you make a token and you move it around that you can actually put kind of whatever you want on a blockchain and that, that, that actually could be pretty cool. And of course, a lot imploded on top of it, but there's still some really valuable things that, that sort of came out of it. And I think that like one thing that could happen here would look kind of similar. You have this massive Cambrian explosion of vegetables. Many of them have similar characteristics. There's just sort of nothing to them. And, you know, I would not be shocked if a lot of those imploded and if people decided in retrospect, things were a fair bit overheated, but also that something pretty special comes out of it. And I think like, you know, DeFi is definitely what sort of the leading contender for that is. And, and I think that if you said that, you know, in 2017, it was the notion that you could program something on a blockchain and, and sort of create your own custom shit to move around. And that that sort of really meant that instead of having like a few products in crypto, everyone could be building their own things. That 
this time, what will come out of that is that you can have more than just you have your own little token moving around a blockchain more than just like you can have your own blockchain, but that you can have an entire ecosystem existing on chain. And I think that that's something, you know, DeFi has been around in some senses for a while, but it's kind of new how much it's been putting together. And, mm-hmm. and, and sort of what even these, like the most ridiculous of the vegetables are doing is really fucking cool. Let's focus in on that for a second. Um, I tweeted about this today, you know, I, I, I kind of grew up covering the intersection of digital assets and Wall Street. And so most of my sources come from that traditional Wall Street background, the, the firms that are servicing the high frequency trading types, the, you know, you think the institutional Coinbase unit or Fidelity digital assets, those types of folks. And they've been having a difficult time wrapping their head around where the value not those two firms specifically, but just as an example, those types of folks are having a difficult time wrapping their head around the value of this Cambrian explosion of food coins. And so, you know, we, we obviously realize or we, we, we recognize that there is a degree of speculation here, but where is the actual value in terms of creating something or innovating on market structure that's relevant to a guy who maybe is trading FX at Morgan Stanley or something. Yeah. And I think that like probably a lot of listeners are not going to be shocked at where this, this little paragraph is going to end. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think it does sort of begin with vegetables in some sense in that sort of the really powerful thing that they, that they showed is just exactly how powerful composability is and exactly how powerful it can be to be on chain. And those who have been living under a rock, you know, possibly intentionally the last month, um, you know, sort of the, the current hype in DeFi is basically you take a token, you wrap it in another token, you kind of put it in smart contract that, that mints another token that you wrap in another token, crisscrossing between four protocols. And each step of the way, someone's like airdropping free tokens on you. And you go around sort of with, with your basket, which itself a, a, a token wrapper, collecting these other tokens falling on you. That's the yield, you know, is those tokens kind of falling from the sky. And, you know, that that's like, that's sort of like the heart of of these vegetables in some sense. Although I think like, I I think that there's another thing going on with them, but, but in terms of the product, that's the heart of them. And, you know, whatever you think of sort of the merit of them and the, the underpinnings of them, what they show is that if everything is on chain, you can just instantly plug everything into each other and, and it just sort of works. And you can get something way more intricate and powerful than any of the pieces are. And, you know, you're starting to see this in, in Ethereum DeFi. It's kind of interesting that it's that it's the vegetables that are doing it in the yield craze, um, because I think that there would be like other directions I would have guessed, you know, would be sort of like the more, uh, you know, product relevant directions, but it does show what happens when you can compose things. And I think that like one sort of powerful example of this is like you have some trading thing and you have some borrow lending thing as like two different protocols in DeFi. And if they're just sitting there on chain next to each other, you can just use a smart contract, stitch them together and create um, a, a, an order book with margin trading. And, you know, there's sort of like some sense of that's what margin trading is, it's trading plus margin. But for anyone who's ever tried to do that in CFI, crisscrossing between two different exchanges, one of which has borrow lending and the other which, of which has an order book, you know, you're going to sit there for hours making this happen, paying fees both ways, um, and you're going to get, you know, being exposed to liquidation in 30 different ways in all these in-between states you're in, trying to wait for exponential distributions to converge as your assets move back. It's, it's this whole mess. But if they're on chain next to each other, um, you just sort of like, it just works. You just plug them right into each other. And and I think that's, that's really powerful and sort of like super linearly powerful you know it's sort of at least quadratically powerful in like the size of of the on-chain ecosystem and and you can sort of create yeah really powerful things out of these simpler base components and you can share liquidity which just creates you know less fractured markets it makes innovation easier and i think that that's that's all really powerful. And I think that's like one of the cool things that that's sort of being displayed here, even if it's being displayed in sort of like a little bit of a wacky way. So then you sort of ask, where is this going? And I think like 
well, okay, obviously Serum is is is, is what I'm going to say here, you know, which is sort of the, the DeFi project that, that I've been you know spearheading, and and I think like the the view of that is like, all right, DeFi is awesome, and being on chain just brings enormous benefit, but also you want to build a good product, like that that still matters even if you're on chain, and so how do you make that happen? And that is sort of like the original genesis for. For, for Serum was how do you build something that's on-chain and is also a really good product? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, something I've heard kind of across the market or in certain corners of the market in the centralized exchange space specifically is this tension maybe between CeFi and DeFi and figuring out ways in which you can enter the DeFi market in a way that doesn't cannibalize um, some of your other products and operations and and it's been a struggle. There's one firm that I'm thinking of in particular that has like five different DeFi working groups and is struggling <laughs> to, uh, maybe you know the firm I'm talking about, but it's struggling to kind of get in the market and get ahead of these fast paced developments. And so I guess the question is, you know, I'll throw it to Ed. When you see a market that's moving so fast, like how do you make sure that the product is staying on top of these fast-moving developments and that you're not falling behind of the competition? So as far as Blockfolio goes, we ran this sort of um, survey for our users and through Blockfolio Signal, and we had thousands of people that responded to it. And I think it was something like 33% of the people didn't even know what DeFi was, right? So I think it sort of depends on your user base, right? I mean, yeah, we are seeing the kind of the crypto ecosystem start getting a lot of start getting really interested in DeFi for us, sort of the approach is like, let's just wait to see if it's really a thing and, you know, see it get validated. And then we can look into incorporating it and, 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 and building this across as a service that we can offer to our users, like DeFi tracking or something. Um, and I think uh, it's on our radar. It's something that we're kind of like our product team is, is looking at closely and, and we think it's going to be a big thing. And so, We've been exploring how we're how how we're going to implement that, but we, we don't have any specific designs just yet. I think, I think with something like this, you don't want to just immediately build something that's the for something that might be a flash in the pan. But I think I think at this point we we, we think it's going to have longevity, yeah, uh, and be foundational. So we're starting to move into it. To what degree, Sam? Do you think like DeFi and CeFi are at odds? Right, like there's kind of. There's even infighting in this in the in the DeFi world um, as well, right? Like we're seeing it with, yeah. with Uniswap and Sushi, and I'm sure when your Dex goes online, you'll kind of be there in the ring as well. What do you what do you make of some of this infighting? Yeah, it's a really good question, and I think like you know, sort of for the DeFi versus CeFi fighting, some of it makes sense. Obviously, I mean, competitors are competitors. I can tell you my personal take, which is just like, I think people misjudge it a little bit, not misjudge the fighting, they, they misjudge whether they should fight. And the reason is basically, you know, you've got some other player in the space and you can try and work with them or fight them. And and that more often than not, like there's some loss to cooperation if you're also competitors, um, but it's sort of this like third order loss. You know, it's like, well, we're going to work with them and maybe that'll make them cooler and then that'll grow the pie some, but also take some of the rest of the pie and of that, that little bit of the rest of the pie a little bit of that was mine. And so you get this, like, the, you, you do lose something to it, but it's sort of like, you know, a piece of a piece of a piece. And what you gain is, is really more first order. You know, what, what you gain is sort of the fruits of the partnership. And that, like, that sort of direct gain, I think, tends to be bigger than the, you know, than the competition. And so and I think that that extends in a lot of places where, like, you know, yeah, there is competition between DeFi and, and, and CeFi, but there's also cooperation. And I think that, like, to the extent they do cooperate, I think it's going to be massively more valuable than the losses to competition, even from like a totally, you know, selfish standpoint would have been. I think that if they don't cooperate at all, if there's no cooperation between DeFi and CeFi, then yeah, they're just competitors because, you know, you've ruled out anything else. But I still think that element is generally less than what you can gain from, from working with each other. I think that's true mostly in DeFi as well. Obviously, in some cases, it's very true as you see sort of products composing on each other. There are some cases where it's not true. And, and I think that like, you know, forking is sort of this big specter that that's been looming for years, but like, it's not clear, you know, sort of been like, maybe there, maybe not. And then, you know, there's sort of like one of the first famous big forks, you know, got hacked. And I think a lot of people are like, ah, see, like fate has spoken. Forking is bad. 
it doesn't work, you know? Glad we can not stop worrying about that. But no, it, it does sometimes work. And, and I think that that's sort of the place where you do start to see a lot of tension. And you do start to see like weird competitive dynamics and extremely unstable equilibriums because if you can literally copy a protocol word for word, like it's just the, the, the sort of mode of stability around the original one, like it's sort of only worth so much. And so I think that that's where you've seen the biggest infighting in DeFi, um, obviously with you know Uniswap and SushiSwap being one of the you know probably the most prominent examples right now of that. Yeah, it's just it's just so funny, you know. There's there's always going to be just part of the crypto spirit, maybe, or something about this space that lends itself to bickering and, and infighting. Um, maybe one day we'll get over that. But at the same time, you know, there is a lot of cooperation and there's a lot of firms that realize that there's so much room for the pie to grow and, and that at the end of the day, if, if it does grow, then we all benefit. I feel like there are so many episodes where the time really just does fly by because there's so much to unpack. But I guess I'll leave it with some closing thoughts about you know, where you see the market going over the course of the next few months to the end of the year. I'll start with you, Ed. What are you, what are you really excited about, maybe outside of the company itself, but more broadly, maybe it's um, something with stable coins or something specific about DeFi or market structure? What's uh, got you excited? Yeah, I kind of alluded to it earlier. This is kind of where I see a sort of, you know, this, this foundation being built through DeFi. It's like a foundational advancement that we're seeing. You know, we're also seeing, I think, um, you know, when people are getting out of Bitcoin, they're not going back into cash. Like they're starting to go into stable coins, which is exciting. It's kind of just, it's a, it's a change in, in, in behavior that, that, that I think is very bullish. And then, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to say. Like, I think uh, just in general, my, I, I apologize for not like having a more interesting answer, but I just think that I, I'm really bullish in the, to see like what sprouts up out of DeFi. I think it's there's still a lot more exciting stuff to come out of there over the next year and a half. That's really kind of where I'm starting to kind of focus my attention. What about you, Sam? Yeah, so I think that like you know I have I I, I I've gone through a, a sort of series or of of shifts of frame of mind about this over the last three months. And, and, you know, frankly, when, when I, you know, started looking into DeFi, I was like, not that excited. I'd sort of like knew high level what most of the protocols did. And most of them just did not excite me. Most of them seemed like just so massively worse than what was going on in CeFi that like, yeah, it's cool that they're on chain, but they also suck. And like one of those is just like kind of a killer. And and so that's sort of like the, the attitude that I had, not towards everything, but towards, towards most things, Coming in, I think I saw Compound go live with its on-chain governance. And I think that was sort of the first time I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, and I tried it out and it just worked. And it worked sort of seamlessly. And it, it was like one of the first experiences I had in DeFi where it's like, wow, that, that's actually more powerful than what you could have had in CeFi. And it's a great user experience. And it's tied to a real product that does something and something useful. And it's just sort of like, you know, that's like, that's that's not... Uh, that doesn't fit my pattern. Like that's actually kind of cool, and so that's sort of where it, where it started. But it's shifted more and more over time, and, and sort of the way that it shifted has been, you know, in the direction of thinking bigger, and sort of in the direction of not just trying to understand what the biggest projects are and and what you can do with them, and not just even trying to understand like what sort of the obvious project to make. Would because if if that was the goal to make sort of like the obvious project in, in DeFi, you I don't know, you make some borrow lending thing or or something like that, and I think it's a, it's a cool product. Although also like people have already done that a few times, so it's like a little less cool the third time. But you know, I think that like what I sort of began to feel you know more and more was that there was something like really powerful there, and there's enormous amount of excitement around it and sort of attention and people and, and money flowing in, um, and that it unlocks something really powerful that you couldn't do outside of it, but also that it was not really being harnessed, not being fully harnessed at least. And, you know, there's sort of a lot of things holding it back from, uh, you know, a lot of the products were not super imaginative. 
to just like limited throughput on Ethereum, which would sort of restricted away most of what you'd want to do. Totally. Um, it's, I mean, it's just a, a killer. Like if you have to pay a dollar and, and wait a few minutes, and a dollar on a good day, so $30 on a bad day now, um, they just can't do anything high throughput. And and this is now like cryptos, you know, if you're a bull on crypto, it's in its infancy and you're hoping it's going to get massively bigger and like you, you can't even sustain this. So, you know, the space was sort of like really being being crippled by all those things, but there's something powerful there. And that's sort of where, where Serum came out of was like, oh, like I'm actually really excited to build this thing. And I, I think there are some great products that sort of aren't being built right now. And, you know, one of the key things there is like, can you put an actual exchange, an actual matching engine, an order book on chain? Because that, like the, the sort of order book is is really the linchpin of a lot of what happens in finance right now. It sort of like sits in between so many things. And it, and what it is, is like, in a way, you know, a way to sort of like express arbitrary beliefs about something via, you know, trading. And, uh, and it's just like, couldn't fit in the throughput, um, but that sort of eventually led to Solana, which is one of the very, very few chains. In- I, that, I mean, that raises a good question about, you know, what are the hurdles to getting users on a non-Ethereum right. blockchain, and how do you tackle those hurdles? Yeah, no, it's a good question, and of course, like this is one of the, you know, the the power of it is you can do so much more. I mean, you know, you can barely do an AMM on Ethereum right now. And on, on Solana, we have a working matching engine. You can use it right now. It's, you know, you, you click a button and one second later, the trade is fully settled. And it costs you like 0.00002 or something like that. Um, and, and it just works. And it's just like an unbelievably large head start. Um, the cost is there's no users. There's, there's, there's no community. There's no apps. Like everyone's building on Ethereum. And, you know, the whole fucking point of this was composability, was like, uh, having a big ecosystem, and so you, there's like a limit to what you can do alone there, and that's why you know project after project has either died on another chain or chosen to live on Ethereum or maybe die on Ethereum too, and sort of goes both ways. And, and so how do you break out of that? And I think that like part of this is having cross-chain protocols. Part of this is having you know as easy a way as possible to onboard people to it. But and that's sort of originally most of what I was thinking about. But but more and more so over time, what I've been thinking is that's not the most ambitious way to think about it. That's sort of the like thinking of it as, as a sideshow, but one that you can still use. And that like, what's a real goal here? What's, you know, what are you really shooting for? You're trying to build a whole new financial ecosystem. You know, you're trying to build not just like a product that can plug into it, it you know, you're trying to build everything from, you know, all of the products that you see in CFI right now to, you know, messaging protocols and, and data transfer protocols um, and NFTs and, um, and, you know, identity and ownership all on chain and all composing into each other and creating something bigger than what any of us have seen, you know, not just bigger than, you know, sort of a, a project in DeFi, bigger than all of DeFi right now. And in fact, bigger than all of crypto right now, there's a huge world out there. And, and that's the ultimate goal is, is not to think small here. It's to think big. And it's to try and build something that can get you there, that has a shot at getting you there at least. And and that's hard, obviously, if, if you don't have any users. Um, and you know, yeah, you should sort of build the, the 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 paths to make it easier for people to get there. But but there's also just this thing of like building something that's so powerful, putting so many things together, that it sort of can't be ignored. You know, and, and that serves the dual task of, you know, it does get some users, but much more importantly than that, it gives people a reason to use it and it gives it a substrate on which to be able to, to really explode in scale. And I think that, you know, if you think about what's sort of, what's the ultimate vision here, like it's, um, yeah, it, it, it really is putting together such sort of a large collection of partners and such a powerful collection of pieces that the ecosystem you build is just really fucking awesome. And, and when you're thinking about it that way, when that's your goal, it changes a lot of things about how you go about it. You know, you start to make decisions not from like, what's sort of the, the cleanest, easiest way to do this. You start starting from scratch and saying, what way of doing this is gonna scale the most, is the most powerful, and what can I do to do everything we need to do to get there? You know, you don't necessarily choose the chain with the biggest community now. 
you build the chain that's able to support the biggest community. And then you find a way to get from here to there. And, and you know, what this means, both in terms of growing out in the beginning, but also in terms of being able to support the vision, the ultimate vision of this, is that you have to dream really big, you know, and even if there's something that you already have, like, you know, that, that sort of like is already fine about it, like, you know, there's better than fine, you know, there's good and there's great. And that every time that you can upgrade that, that just makes it more compelling and makes it, you know, and so I think that like, that's really been sort of, and it sort of took me embarrassingly long after having decided that twice to like, <laughs> you know, decide that twice more. Uh, you know, the sort of like, maybe you have thought that like after having had that realization a few times, sort of like, yeah, okay, that, that's the plan. But like, I, I sort of kept realizing there are ways that I was limiting my thinking about it and kept realizing that I was still stuck in various ways in the like, you know, trying to do pretty well, trying to do even really well, but but not thinking like, how can you build something that's bigger than what anyone, you know, than, than, than anything this industry has, has been or seen? How do you create something that's fully on-chain, fully composable, trustless and also a sprawling thriving ecosystem full of products that are really powerful and good to use and and don't feel you know hampered by the fact that they're uh, that they're on on chain and i think that like you know it's hard and, and and you have to throw an enormous amount at it you have to give sort of like just an overwhelming push to get there but but that's where that's where the real goal is and um, you know, some of that has been, you know, building on what we see as, you know, kind of the highest, per, you know, really prioritizing high performance above, you know, tooling. We can, we can make tooling. Um, and, you know, that's meant working on partnerships with as many of the projects in crypto as we can. Everything from DeFi protocols to centralized exchanges to tokens and apps and doing everything we can to to get them to become a part of the ecosystem, at least to try it out, at least to to give that option um, and and sort of throwing all of that together at once um, and uh, and creating you know a dex that is is powerful and performant um, while being actually you know hundred percent on chain and um, and you know one last important part of that is liquidity and you know it's sort of like obviously one of the things you would guess about you know a project that I'm involved in is that there be liquidity, you know, that, that sort of like is, uh, you know, is one advantage of having the relationship with Alameda that, that, you know, when, when there's a huge demand for it, um, you know, being able to, to find supply when you need it, but that's not, that's not the final answer. And, and I think FTX has really learned that, in, you know, there's been an enormous growth of liquidity providers on FTX over the last nine months, because if you really want to get as big as you can, you need a lot more than, uh, than, than sort of like just a good start. Um, and and especially if you want to get bigger than, you know, sort of bigger than just like trading the single product that's easiest to provide on. If you want to expand into more and more products, you need more and more firepower there. And I think like, you know, we've put a lot of time into working into a lot of pieces of this. One piece, which has also been a bunch of time, but I'm super excited about, is a partnership that we have with jump trading on serum and i think that that's you know wasn't originally what i was thinking going into building serum but as soon as you start thinking bigger you need to throw a lot more at it and so we're really excited to be working with them as you know kind of key source of liquidity and investor into the uh the project and just generally serve sort of a backer and, and partner of it it might just be one of those so crazy it might work type of ideas and we'll be excited to watch it and excited to watch, you know, the progress of the two firms as they kind of um, come together, Blockfolio and FTX. It's something that everyone's going to be paying attention to. And I'm just super excited in three to six months to have you guys back on when all the sort of ducks are in a row and, and, you know, the, the acquisition is basically complete or, or maybe it might take a little bit more time um, or rather I should say the you know integrations are complete because I think it's going to be something that will be another pillar of the crypto trading world and I appreciate you guys taking the time out of this this mania to chat with us and hope to talk to you again real soon yeah absolutely. Oh, thanks for having us
I'd like to give our sponsor Bitstamp a big thank you. The original global cryptocurrency exchange. Bitstamp is built for professional traders, yet intuitive enough for any investor. You can use Bitstamp's advanced trading interface, TradeView, to execute your strategy or instantly buy crypto in seconds when the opportunity strikes, all from your computer or mobile device. Bitstamp prides itself on delivering unmatched customer service with a human touch. Their global customer care team is available around the clock via telephone, email, and social media. When you contact them, you'll always speak to an actual person, not a bot. You can download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and to start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro.